So good morning to all of you. We are, uh, we're through, we've been spending this entire year going through uh, the Old Testament, talking about uh, knowing God, knowing God through uh, the scriptures in the Old Testament. Um, and today we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. We're going to be really getting back to the kind of the fundamentals, like where this thing all started when it comes to knowing God. So before I get to that, you know, I've been, I've been reading my Bible, thankfully. And, um, and so, you know, the Bible says things like to uh, imitate your leaders. It's one thing that, that the Bible says. And so I'm going to really try, I, you know, I really look up to Joel. I'm really going to try to imitate him this morning. So I'm going to start off today with a joke. Okay, and uh, I'm nervous about this. Let me just be very honest with you, um, because I, I think I feel like I need to explain this. When, when Joel tells a joke and just that awkward silence that happens after, like I cringe in my seat. Like I don't know how he does it. Like I think about the prophets when it just says that when like like Jeremiah when God says I'll make your forehead as hard as flint, like so that you can deal with all the rejection. I'm like. Wow, Joel has been blessed. Anyways, <laughs> so in the Garden of Eden, it wasn't actually the apple in the tree that was the problem. It was the pear on the ground. Hey, do you get it? Do you get it? Okay, yep. I have a ways to go, I've been told. <laughs> okay, so... Guys, what I want to talk about today, the, the main thing that I want you to come away with from our study in Isaiah chapter 1 is that we're going to talk about God's number one priority today. What, what is God's number one priority? And, and the really cool thing about this is that the scripture reveals that God's number one priority I mean, he's, he's, got the, he's managing the universe, you know, it's like, man, i doesn't God have to keep the stars from running into each other or something? Sure he does, but it's not his number one priority. His number one priority is to have a love-centered relationship with you, with each and every one of us. Okay, so, we, uh, so we've been going through the Old Testament, and we kind of made our, chronologically, we made our way all the way to the end when... Uh, the southern kingdom, Judah, gets captured by Babylon, and they're in exile, and they come back. So we're going to rewind in the clock a little bit, just because we didn't hit all, all of the books uh, chronologically. We're rewinding the clock to before the, the southern kingdom has been captured by Babylon, and also right in between when the northern kingdom was captured by Assyria, okay, and there was uh, a period of time between that and when the, the southern kingdom was captured. Okay, so we're kind of, we're in there. We're in that period. And Isaiah, he prophesied during the reigns, which we'll read, during the reign of Uzziah, uh, the king, Jotham, and a couple others. Hosea and Micah, a couple other uh, minor prophets in the Bible, they were also prophesying around the same time that Isaiah was. So when you read those books, it's in the same historical context. Um, and one thing about Isaiah is that uh, Uzziah is the king that's reigning at the beginning, and he, uh, he actually leads the southern kingdom back to basically the best place they've been since the days of Solomon in terms of their, their prosperity 
economically, politically, um, all of those things, uh, they, they're kind of, they're having a resurgence in their, their power, in, among the world powers, so to speak. But, which is great and all, but the thing that's not good about this is, as a byproduct of this success, they have, it has resulted in spiritual decline. Okay? And so we're going to talk about that. So, uh, let's see here. Let's get into Isaiah. Make sure I did not. Yep, that's on. Isaiah chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. It says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. And so really, I was reading some commentaries and everything this week, preparing for this, and you know, this really set, this is like the tone setter for the entire book of Isaiah. Isaiah is 66 chapters long. It's, it's an incredible prophetic work because it's, it's like literary majesty and there's so many of these prophecies uh, about Jesus, about the Messiah that come true. Like this is a heralded, a heralded prophetic book and this is where it starts. Okay, so God, the first uh, several chapters is about God's judgment and God judges all these, he's judging all the nations, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, but he, he starts his judgment with Judah itself, the very people of God themselves. And so here's, here's the issue. Here's where the spiritual decline has come in. Okay? That the people of Israel, they no longer know their owner. They no longer know when it says that the donkey knows where its master's crib is. That's referring to where the, the donkey knows where to get its food. The people no longer know where to get their nourishment from. They have neglected the Word of God. They've neglected their relationship with God. So when it comes to knowing God, the, the, the Bible is, that's, that's kind of one of the, main, I think one of the, the Bible serves a lot of purposes, but one of the main purposes that it serves is it gives us a window into who God is. We can read about this, you know, we read this, and it's kind of like, dang, they messed up, that's, am I messing up, that's discouraging, but really you can see God's priority in this. It's like, you're, you're messing up, but look, what does God care about? He cares about knowing, he cares about the relationship. Um, and so, when God's telling his story, there's, we hear all kinds of things about God. You, you, you've been told things about God, you've heard things about God, you hear people say things about God. Uh, school, work, everyone gives their opinion about God, he exists, he doesn't, whatever. We have to let God tell us his story. We, we can't, like you, like hopefully me speaking today will help you understand God, but you can't rely on that for your knowing, for your intimacy, for your relationship with God. Because it would be like, it, that would be like, um, you know, for us, if I were to, I, you know, I really admire, something I really admire about Joel uh, and his wife, Christy, is their marriage. They have, they have a, an awesome marriage. And, and I, I'm also, I'm married, and 
If I were to go to Joel and be like, hey man, just t- you know, t- tell me about your marriage. You know, and of course he'll go on and on and on. And so let, let's say that I, so I listen, I have to sit at the feet of Joel and he tells me about all the things he's doing to help make his marriage great. Is my marriage suddenly better? So wait, so, so his marriage didn't make mine any better. I have to actually listen to him and then take what he says and then try and apply it in my own marriage, right? And so that's, that's the piece right there where we, we, we can't just, we can't hear God's word and, and not do it. We have to hear it and then we have to try and do everything we can to put it into practice. And that's where, where we really get to know God, right? That's when when I actually do that, that's when my marriage improves. My relationship with my wife actually improves. It actually becomes deeper. And God really works in this relational level. He's a personal being. Relationships with people are actually work a lot similarly to the way they work with God. I mean, there, there are some differences because God is different, but there are also a lot of similarities. So we have to let God tell his story. You know, we, have, we do journey shares. I love journey shares. I love hearing about people's journey. And um, so Jake, actually, he was, it was sort of a journey share. It was more of a communion talk. But he was up here a couple weeks ago, whatever. And, you know, Jake, how would you feel if I, do you, who do you think would do a better job with your journey share? Do you think I could do a better journey share for your life? Or you could do a better journey share for your life? Clearly the answer is me. No, I'm just kidding. Jake can share about his life better than I can share about his life. Okay, so that, that's why we go to God's word to, to really get to know him. Because someone else isn't going to share God's story with you the way that God can. And so this is the heart of the matter. This is the fundamental thing of the matter. This is where the, the book of Isaiah starts on people, they don't, they don't know me anymore, okay? And we're going to look at some of the consequences of that. And then we're going to look at also some of the rewards of knowing God. So let, let's, let's talk about the bad news first. Bad news first. Okay, Isaiah 1, uh, 13. This is God. Uh, it was Isaiah prophesying, speaking, uh, being a mouthpiece for God. It says, bring no more vain offerings Wait, I'm starting in verse. Yep, okay, we're good. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Okay, guys, so what's going on? Some of this stuff might be like, what, new moon, Sabbath? What, what are you talking about here? So this is all of the things that God has commanded the Israelites to do in their worship of him. So they're doing everything that God told them to do. Right, so like, what's so? How is that fair? They're doing exactly what God told them to do, but God hates it. He doesn't like it. So let's try to figure out what's going on here. 
See, many people practice spiritual disciplines. Right? Many people read their Bible, pray, go to church, practice spiritual disciplines, but rarely, hardly, never see any growth or any true intimacy in their relationship with God. And I, I believe that's because it doesn't start with the love of, like, their, their motivation for doing all those things isn't because they love God. And the end, like the, what's, what's, the, what's the final goal of doing all these things? It's, it's to love God. It's, it's the start, it's the end, it's the means. And if, if the love of God, that love-centered relationship, isn't at the center of that, that then we get this. We get duty. We get bringing the offerings, doing the Sabbath, grinding in our relationship with God. Now, I'm using the analogy of, of marriage quite a bit today because, well, I mean, God intentionally uses marriage as a picture of his relationship with his people. Um, and it, it, so, that, so that's why I'm going to be using it. So when it comes to your marriage, for those of you who are married, okay, or those of you who are, are dating, whatever, um, we'll, also have, we'll also have some things for those of you who aren't. Think, so what, have you ever tried this? Have you ever thought about, like, husbands, you ever thought about all the qualities that you love about your wife? Just attributes, the character traits, the, the things that you like. Have you ever taken time to think about that? Right? Yeah. Yes? Is that a yes? Okay, amen. <laughs> amen. What does that, just, just, what does that do? What does that do to your marriage? What does that do to your, your heart towards your wife? It's good. It's good, isn't it? Just to, just to take a few minutes to, to do that, right? Now, now contrast that with what happens when you think about your spouse and you think about all the things that bother you. And all the things that, aren't, that are just different from you. Maybe aren't just like the way you would do it. And then, you know what, let's heap on top of that. What about all the things that maybe you find attractive or you like in somebody else? What if you go there in your mind? What does that do to your relationship? Because in our relationship, we actually have a lot of control. We have control about what we let our thoughts dwell upon. Okay? And it's just like, with God, we, if, if we spend all of our time thinking about what God hasn't given us, uh, think about what the world has that we don't have, or what that person has that we don't have, or what that person has that God hasn't given to us, that, that you, we're not cultivating a love in our relationship with God. We can't compare to what we have with God and to what just the world has constantly and expect to have well, we, we, we just know. We, know. we know the fruits, the effects of those types of things in our human relationships. So love has to be at the center of this relationship with God. We're going to uh, go to verse 18. Let's talk about some of the good news. Some of the positives. 18 through 20. This is amazing. It's an amazing passage here. It says, Come. Come now. Let us reason together says the Lord. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall become as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I love this. God's like, let us reason together. All right, just come together. Let's, let's put our heads together. Let's make a pros and cons list. What's better, a love-centered relationship with me or everything else in the world you could possibly want? Let's reason together. Sin is, is never reasonable because it always leads to devastating consequences in our lives. You know, I heard this quote from... Uh, a psychotherapist who's been practicing therapy for 20, 30 years, and not, not, a, not a Christian or anything like that, and, and he said in his practice, of, of all these years of practice, he said, I've never seen anyone get away with anything. He's like, it always comes back. And that, that's, you know, he sees that, right? He, he sees that because he gets to work with kind of the inner workings of people's lives, Right? But that, I mean, that's the Bible's message about sin. Like, you do not get away with it. It comes back. So, guys, this, this gift that our sins, they, they're, they're washed away, they become white as snow. It's an amazing gift. And we have to look to really grasp the 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 amazingness of a gift, sometimes you have to see both sides. And so here, here's what I mean by that. If you've ever been um, in financial need, or just in a hard place, you know, we've, all, we've all been there, where it's just like, you've just been in that position where you don't know where your next meal's going to come from, or maybe you don't know where, like, you're, how you're going to go to the grocery store for the next week of groceries. Something along those lines. That, that, I've had several moments like that in my life. Um, I remember specifically in college, um, being in that position, living on my own, and somebody, like, I was at the grocery store, and somebody paid, just like a stranger, like, my debit card wasn't working, and so, like, while I was, like, on the phone talking to the bank, trying to get it sorted out, somebody just paid for my groceries, and then they left, and I literally, like, ran after them, like, because I wanted to tell them thank you, and I, 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 low-key, I don't know if this was just like an angel or something, because I ran after them. I whipped around that corner, and then they were literally just gone. Like, there was no one there. And that was amazing. I was just like, I was so thankful. Like, so thankful for that. Like, you know, have you ever felt that way? Okay, and, and here's, here's the other side, right? What about, so it's amazing when someone is generous to you. It really is. It's amazing. And, but what if the person who, who gave you that money, they were in the same position, and they were struggling, and they gave you the last $20 in their bank account? You know, that makes a difference. And then God, he, I mean, he just about bankrupted himself for us. He gave up the one thing that was, that was the most pre the most precious thing to him, his one and his only son. He did that so that our sins could be wiped out. It could be white as snow. 
Now, you know, sin, or particularness, there's a reason it's talking about like this, this coloring, this red, uh, this crimson. It's, it's, it's a dye. It's, a, it's actually specifically referring, if we're going to get all technical, specifically referring to a specific dye that they extracted from an insect to dye things scarlet, red. And uh, it didn't come out, so that was why it was used. It was a good dye. It could not come out. It doesn't matter what detergent you use or anything. It does not come out. Okay, so... That, that's a problem. When you have a stain, you can't get rid of it. But we obviously see that God, the only thing that can remove that stain is the grace of God. But I want to talk about that stain for just a second because, you know, we're, we're in a room of church-going folk. And, you know, a lot of us understand that, you know, killing and stealing and uh, illicit drug use, premarital sex, like all these things are wrong, right? It's just, we get it. But I want to talk about how this, this stain really kind of, it, it impacts, it's a little more personal than that, it impacts us. I want you to think about, you know, the kind of man or woman that you want to be. You know, for, for me, I want to be a man that has care, is virtuous and has character and is sacrificial, and loves my wife and my future children, and, and never loses my temper with them. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> you know, but I want to be inspiring. I want, I want to help people um, find God. But then there's the man that I actually am. And... I believe if you have an ounce of humility in your bones, you will look at the person that you want to be and the person that you are, and you'll see a large difference. And that's the stain. And there's nothing that can change that except for the grace of God. By the grace of God, you know, I've been able to become a little bit more like that, a little bit more like those things. But I'm a work in progress. You know, I, I was just thinking of a, a where, like a litmus test for where are we, where are we in our in our love relationship with God? Like, how do we how do we test? So I have a couple questions for you, and I don't think they're perfect questions or anything, but just worth thinking about. For those of you who who are married, how is your marriage going, really? Like, and I ask that because our relationship. With, with God, it, basically how we view God and how much we love God is exactly the same way that we love and we treat other people. And our closest relationships in our life are the most revealing. And so if you're having a lot of conflict in your marriage, maybe it might be because you're selfish and you're not focused on love. Right? It could be a number of reasons. But I just, I want you to think about, like, okay, how is my relationship with my spouse? Okay, and for those of you who aren't married, has anyone knit their heart to yours? It's a weird question, but I want to ask it because, you know, in the Bible, I, I believe an, an important step of manhood we see in David's life, David and Jonathan, they have like a famous friendship because it says, the Bible says that they were knit together 
in heart and spirit. And they even go as far as to say as their friendship with each other is better than that of the love of any woman. And if, if no one is knitting their heart to you or wants to knit their heart to you, might, it, you just look, look into that. That could be a, a sign of your love relationship with God because people are drawn, like, they were, Jonathan was drawn to David's faith. He was drawn to his conviction, and he just was like, I'm, I'm going to have a friendship with that man. So if you're struggling in that way, right, Every, everything has a spirit, there's a spiritual rut to all of these things. So we'll talk about here in, the, in this next little part of Isaiah 1, why is this God's priority? A little bit about why is this God's priority to have a love-centered relationship with us. Uh, verse 29, Isaiah 1, it says, For they shall be ashamed of the oaks that you desired, and you shall blush for the gardens that you have chosen. For you shall be like an oak whose leaf withers, and like a garden without water. And the strong shall become tender, and his work a spark. And both of them shall burn together with none to quench them. Okay, so what God is talking about here. I just, when it says they should be ashamed of the oaks that you have desired, it's referring to a particular, uh, it's called an Asherah pole. It's, it's a false god that they worshipped during the time. And same with the gardens. It has to deal with idol worship. Okay? And, and really, so just, that can be a little foreign to us now, because like, we're not really that impressed with oaks and gardens. But we're impressed by a lot of other things. And we give our heart and our devotion to a lot of other things. And here's the thing that I want you to notice about this, is that in verse 30, it says, you shall be like an oak. So whatever you worship, that's what you will be like. That's the process. We become what we worship. So if it's something as silly as an oak tree, well then you'll become as dull as an oak tree. It's the way idolatry works. And the other thing that I want you to notice about this is that the strong shall become tender. The strong. The strong meaning the strong in their own eyes. Because no one, God doesn't call anyone else strong. Compared to him, I mean, come on. The strong in their own eyes. They should become tender. Tinder is like kindling. It's like what you use to start a fire. Okay? And then, so the strong, their work will be like a spark. So what the strong in their own eyes set their hands to is like a spark. And they themselves are like kindling. So what happens? Up in flames. So the very thing, if we're strong in our own eyes, that we set our eyes to, we're setting ourselves on fire. That's not smart. So why does God, why does God do this? Why, why are there such harsh consequences? God is trying to protect us. Because he knows what's going to happen. When we decide to pursue, when we worship false gods by investing the, the main chunk of our, our pie of energy 
and enthusiasm into things besides God, we are going to set ourselves on fire. And God does not want us to do that because he prioritizes a love relationship with us. So when God sends you conviction, when he sends you the prickling of your conscience, he's trying to stop you from going down a path that will lead to far worse destructive things. That's what he's doing. And we'll see, and I, and I want to just take a second to talk about this, this work idea, the, the strong in their own eyes. You know, in, in, in America, work is, has definitely become an idol. Like, the type of lifestyle, the type of thing that gets elevated in our society is the person who has started their own business, works 80 hours a week, and, and just, like, those types of things is what a lot of young people coming up now are aspire to. That's what they want to be like. That's what's exalted, is that kind of lifestyle. And the thing with that is that when, when, we, get, when we get out of whack, right, when we idolize something besides God, we vacillate between extremes. So for someone like that who invests the majority of their chunk and time and energy into work, they vacillate between either extreme rest slash pleasure and extreme anxiety. So they're extremely anxious, always going, going. But in order to make up for that, you've got to have like some extreme rest, meaning you just got to clear the books and leave for three weeks, or you got to ha- indulge in some extreme amount of pleasure. Like, it's the only way to make up for this imbalance. So if you've found yourself maybe kind of in the cycle a little bit, honestly, that, this is kind of actually I, I, where I find myself, because I've, I get so much of my self-worth in my productivity level, and honestly, lately, I've been straight, I've literally had this thought, so just completely, just confession, being open. I'm like, I am just, I need to go into the woods for six weeks and not talk to anybody. And, you know, I was thinking about that. Um, and so, you know, maybe I do, I probably do need a little rest. But, I do, it's like this extreme, you know what I'm saying? Like, and then, so, but I'm thinking that, but then I'm also walking around to my day just being a grump. Right? So I'm just extremely anxious, extreme rest. So we need, here's the thing, we really need help. We really need each other's help. Do you, do you really think that you can just roll out of bed in the morning and walk in the way of the everlasting? I'm drawing from the scripture here in Psalm 139. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there is, be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of the everlasting. You know, Jesus, he walked in the way of the everlasting. But what, what, how did Jesus pull that off? Well, he's, he's partly divine. He's fully human. Do you, what are the things we notice about Jesus' life? He, what does it say? He went out before the sun came up and he prayed. He had a group of close-knit friends and the disciples. You know, something Jesus did as a young boy is he obeyed his parents. You know, and the other thing Jesus did is when he was questioned by the Pharisees, he didn't, if you guys notice, I mean, Jesus is just, it's just incredible the way he responds, but if you guys notice, Jesus never is in a defensive posture. 
he's not he's not being defensive. He's right, and how so he got he's that way because because of his lifestyle, because of his prayer, because of his relationship with God, because of his time with the disciples. And here's something I want you to, to this is a hard question to ask. It's a hard question to open yourself up to this, but I think it's a question that we all need to ask somebody this week. Do you see anything in me that could possibly be offensive to God? That's, it's a good question to ask. David, the author of the psalm here, he's, he's begging God, like, search me, know me, please reveal. If there's any, like, we have to desire to be in the way of the everlasting. You know, when it comes to this, we have to be lifelong learners. Okay, I heard this amazing Explain, or, uh, d- uh, definition of what it means to seek truth this week. Seeking truth. And as a disciple, we're seeking truth always. We're, we're lifelong learners. And what, what the definition was, it says that when you, you know when you're seeking truth when what you don't know is more important than what you already know. What you don't know is more important than what you already know. And that's the kind of posture that we need to have towards one another. You know, if you're, I, I feel like this should go without saying, but I'm going to say it. That if you're, if you're feeling like, you know, no one can really disciple me in that area. No, uh, there's just no one who I really respect enough to, you know, who can help me with my faith. And this is arrogant and prideful, and God opposes the proud. But so you know, believe it or not, someone might actually be able to tell you something you don't know. That might happen, and that's what ha- that has to be more important to us than what we already know. It has to. Pride it creates blind spots. It's really that's what it does. We it, pride essentially stops you from seeing your own shortcomings. Okay, and here's the thing about pride is that when it stops us from seeing our own shortcomings, we actually fool ourselves. And that's a bad spot to be in if we're prideful and we're blind and we've fooled ourselves. It's a bad spot because how do you get yourself out of that? Well, you can't get yourself out of that. You can get some help to get out of that. You can't get yourself out of it. And when it comes to the day when God judges, even if you fooled yourself, there's no fooling him. When his penetrating glare examines the inner workings of your heart and your soul, There'll be no deception. There'll be no trick. There'll be no excuses. Guys, on the other hand, on that day, we can have such security and fearlessness. Like, when we walk humbly before God, when we focus on this love-centered relationship with God, a big part of that is, when we, basically, we live our lives without walls. We, man, I, I, the, it's so freeing when you can, when you don't have to protect your ego, when you don't have to protect the way that you live your life, you don't have to protect, you know, the way that you raise your children, you don't have to protect these things, when you can just lay them out there and allow people to say, to speak into your life, it's just, there's so much freedom, it's incredible, and you know, yeah, sometimes people say something that's stupid, 
Okay. Amen. Like, what'd you expect? <laughs> but honestly, I'm going to, just from my own experience anyways, I'd have to say at least 98% of the time, I, I, I learned something. Like, even if what they said was, was not all the way right, it's like I still learn from their perspective. It still makes me think about something. It's like, oh, okay, I see that. It, I learn every time. It's a big part of walking humbly before God. So this morning, guys, we need to, just a few practicals, we need to rededicate ourselves to loving God's Word. That is, that is where He reveals Himself. And that's where we can really, our souls, our spirits can draw upon his goodness, his greatness. And, and that's where we grow to love him, is in that one-on-one, -on -one, that connection time, right? If, if you never, if you don't, if you have a friend that you don't ever hang out with, or you never spend any significant one-on-one -on -one time, like your friendship is only going to go so far. We need to rededicate ourselves to a love-centered relationship with him. Guys, look, it, sometimes it's hard to love God because... Well, because we're sinful, because we're in the flesh, and we can't see God. And, but, you know, it's in there. God made you with the capability, the capacity, the desire to love him back. He made you with that. And you, I don't know what you got to do, but you got to reach down there, and you got to find it, and you got to pull it out. So think about that. Is what, what do you need to do to find that love? Because it's in there. The love for God is in there. It's inside of you. And please understand that we all too easily, we all too easily stray, misstep, stumble to stay on the narrow path, the way of the everlasting. And we need help. We need accountability. And we need, we need openness. We need to do that in order to stay in order to mi minimize the number of times that we're going to fall on our face. God's number one priority is to have a love-centered relationship with each and every one of us. Rededicate yourself. Or if, you, if you've never dedicated yourself to a loving relationship with God, today's the day. Dedicate yourself to that. And also, get help with that, because you might not know how to do that. And that's okay. Um, so we, I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer. We're going to go into our time of communion. Um, a time where we remember Jesus. We, we meditate on what his sacrifice is on the cross. What it means to us. The, the, the kind of mercy, the kind of love that he showed in that sacrifice when God went bankrupt for us. So please, please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for sending your son. Like you, God, you didn't have to do it that way. You, you could have chosen another way because you're God, you're infinite in your mind and your capabilities, but you chose God to send a message to send a message that says, I love you and I want you to be with me, God. And, and we hear you loud and clear in the cross of Christ. And I pray, God, that our hearts would respond to that. And I pray that we just take this time to uh, remember 
to, to be filled with gratitude um, for, what, for what you've done for us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.